church. Uh, my name is Anthony. I am pastor here of this church. If you're joining us online, we want to welcome you. Thank you for joining us today. We are going to continue this series that we are in right now called um, just simply Come Home with the tagline that we're going to look into today, which is just simply, you are never too far. Quick announcement for you before we get started. Um, I have some announcements at the end of my message as well as we're looking ahead to the year in front of us. But we have um, not tomorrow, but the next Monday, Monday the 26th, we will be hosting a informational meeting for 100 Acre Academy, who's going to be opening up a grade school campus here at our Sunnyside campus in the month of January. And their staff is just going to be um, letting our community know, letting our church body know more about their school to see if you're interested in sending your kids there, um, to see if, um, just if you want to know what's going on. Um, there's been a little bit of confusion about this meeting in that it's, it's not like a, um, us telling them what we think school should be like. It is um, us welcoming this school into our property and then finding out about it, seeing how you can get plugged in and involved and how um, they can serve our members. But this will not just be for our church. It'll be for the whole city. They have campus in Dallas and in Staten, and we are very excited for them to be launching here uh, in Salem in the month of January. And so come to that meeting. Check it out. Um, great, great staff at that school, and they would love to uh, just talk to you about what they have to offer. So with that being said, um, I want to recap last week's message just a bit. And um, I think I want to then kind of spend some time in prayer before we look at what we're going to look at this week. So last week, we, we opened up with this idea uh, about coming home. Uh, we looked at a, a message about what it means to bring people home, uh, to carry those we love who are homesick and who are homeless back home to the Father where all of us were created to belong. And we had this idea that home is wherever God is. And there's this phrase, home is where the heart is, which is, is not ultimately true. What is true is that home is wherever God is. And we are at home with God in relationship with him. And we are at home with God when we find relationship with him for eternity. And we looked at this story of the four men who brought their paralyzed friend home to the crowded house of Jesus, and they made room in the house for their friend by lowering him through the roof, and Jesus forgave the man of his sins, healed him of his paralysis. But we kind of talked about this big idea that Jesus didn't just see this man's faith, but Jesus saw his friend's faith and responded by forgiving the man of his sins. And as Jesus acted out and took the first step in grace, this man had to respond in faith. He had to choose to stand up, to pick up his bed, and to leave that place. And we ended the message with this idea that there are people in our lives that we need to be carrying to Jesus. But also, we find times in our lives where we need to have people carry us home to Jesus as well. And so while last week was about carrying people or taking people home, this week will be about just simply coming home. Coming home when we have been gone. And many of us, we have had experiences in our life, probably most of us, where we have left home. We, we've left our hometown. 
we've left the house of our parents, and then during the holidays, we return. Sometimes we look forward to the return, and sometimes we dread the return. But we all have experience of somehow leaving and returning and coming home. And today we're going to be talking about what it looks like to come home ourselves uh, to the Father. But I, like I said, I want to spend some time in prayer. And I know, Casey, you just prayed. Um, but I just have just something heavy on my spirit this morning. And I believe that God wants to speak to us through this particular passage. And I'm excited how he'll speak to me. And I don't know how he will to you, but I'm excited for it as well. So could you join me in prayer? Um, Lord, we're about to look at this, um, this important passage, Jesus, that you, you told this story Uh, because it mattered to you. In this story that we're about to to read, this parable uh, that you told, um, you call us back to you. God, I pray for those today um, who are here, who are watching online, or or those in our lives who do not know you, who've never experienced being at home with you, uh, that they would find rest and comfort and peace with you and in relationship with you. Lord, if any of us have strayed from you, God, I know that those that you have saved, those, those who consider themselves to be Christians, uh, that, that we leave home sometimes as well, that we stray. And Jesus, I pray that you would just gently tug at our hearts, gently call us back to intimate, close relationship with you. Call us back home to the body of Christ, God. I pray that we would all see our value and our worth in you, and that we would feel as if we have a place both in the body of Christ and at home with you. Lord, for anybody struggling today with shame, I ask in your name that you'd remove it from them. That's not from you. For anyone wrestling with fear, God, your word says that you do not give us fear. You give us power and love and self-control. God, your love cast out fear. And so we ask that you'd remove fear from our hearts, that you would remove worry and anxiety or stress from our hearts so that we could focus in on intimacy with you this morning, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. So, coming home. Um, we're going to be talking today about this idea, kind of giving you the, the end at the beginning, is this idea that you can always come home. And that... The Father is always waiting for us to come home. The door is always open for us to come home and that we're never too far to go home. And we're going to look at the story today um, that we know as the prodigal son. And this word prodigal is a a word that we use uh, church or not or Bible or not. It's a word that in Western culture we're somewhat familiar with. It's kind of the the symbol of someone who, who has left, who has lost, who has gone astray and who has come back. And so where we find this is in the book of Luke, and in response to the religious leaders' ridicule of Jesus for welcoming sinners and tax collectors, and Jesus spending time with them, and Jesus eating meals with them, in response to this, Jesus tells three stories, and we would assume he's telling these stories while he is eating at tables with sinners and tax collectors. There's religious people observing what is being shared, and Jesus tells the story of three things that were lost and in return were found. The first thing he tells the story about is about a lost sheep, one sheep out of a hundred that wanders away, but the shepherd's love and concern and responsibility for that one sheep causes the shepherd to leave the 99 
to go and find the one. And he returns back to the flock with the one who was lost. The second story is about a woman who has one coin. It's the only amount of money that she has. She loses it, and she tears her house up to find this one coin. And when the coin is found, she throws a party. And the third story is about not a lost sheep or a lost coin, but a lost, uh, a lost son. And we could look at this today from the perspective of having a lost son or a daughter or spouse or friend or loved one or sibling and so on. And so in Luke 15, verse 11, Jesus starts this story. And remember, it's a parable. It's not a true or real story. Jesus is um, telling the story, making this story up, if you will, in order to prove this point about the love of the Father for those who are his. And so verse 11 says, Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of the sons said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And so this is a a young man. Uh, It's implied he's unmarried. In this culture, he likely would have been a teenager. And essentially what he wants is he wants his inheritance before his father's death. Now this is an odd request, but hey, would you give me what you owe me when you die before you die. It's almost as if this son desires that his father was already dead because he wants what the father has for him in the future but doesn't want to wait for it. And in this culture, this would have been an incredible slide against the father just basically saying, Dad, you mean nothing to me. I wish that you were dead so that I could have what's owed to me. Now, we find out that he is the younger of two brothers. Now, the older brother would have received more of an inheritance. He would have received about 66%, and this younger son would have received about one-third or 33% of the father's inheritance that he has for him. And so he asks the father for one-third of all that he has. And the father just gives it to him. Okay, here's your inheritance before I die. So spoiler alert, in this story, the father represents God. Home, once again, home is where God the father is. And the sons in this story are us. They're they're you and and they're me. The older son, there's a whole kind of conclusion to the story that we're not going to get too far into today that talks a little bit more about the older son. But the older son in this story represents someone who has or claims to have relationship with God. Someone who claims to be a son, who belongs to the Father in God's house. Someone who claims in our context to be a Christian. Whether or not he is, we don't have time to get into that. But the younger son in this story, the younger son, there's two possibilities and, and both would prove to be true. Possibility number one is that the younger son is someone who does belong to God, but is choosing to walk away from him. That, that's what I believe the direct context of this story is. The younger son, someone who does belong to God, someone in our context who is a Christian who has been saved by Jesus, but chooses to walk away from him. Or what also works here, what can also work, is that the younger son represents someone who's never had a relationship with God. And his walking away from the Father represents all of us who have once and many times over again walked away from the Father. 
And so the father giving the son what he asks of him, what this is, it is representative of God having all that we need. It's representative of God desiring to give us what's best for us, yet at the same time giving us free will to choose whether or not to receive it giving us the freedom to experience the consequences if we don't. And so, love would not be love if there was no choice. Love would not be love if it could not be reciprocated. Love is not something that is forced onto someone. Love is something that is shared. Love is something that is given. Love is something that is expressed, that is a sacrifice made to someone else. But for true love to happen where there is a relationship involved, the one who is being loved has a choice and an opportunity to respond in love. And so God loves you and I so much that he actually gives us a choice to choose whether or not we choose his love. And even though it doesn't seem like it, God gives us the freedom to experience what happens when we walk away from him when we don't choose his love. And so God loves us so much that he creates us in his image, He calls us into his family, and he gives us all that we need. But he loves us enough to let us choose. And in that choice that God gives us, we all wander away. So God has given us all this choice, and each of us has wandered away. Some of us wander away after we experience the grace of God. But all of us wander away before we experience the grace of God. We each walk away from the will and the plan of God for our lives. And hopefully, what we experience when we do walk away from God, hopefully what we experience changes our minds so that we want to return to him. But but for many, it does not. For many, our hearts actually grow harder the further we move away from God, and we actually do not desire to return to him. So verse 13 says this, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had. So he gathers the 33% inheritance. He probably sells some property, some camels, some cows, some donkeys. And he took a far journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Uh, Verse 30, at the end of the story, says specifically one of the things he squanders his money on is prostitutes. And so he squanders, he wastes his money in reckless living. And verse 14 says, when he had spent everything he had, a severe famine arose in that country, and the young son began to be in need. Here's what I've learned. So whenever we take matters into our own hands... We squander all we have for reckless, temporary things, which leaves us lacking, cursed, leaves us without, leaves us in famine. Because when we wander far away from the giver of life, we wander away from the life that he gives. And so this guy is now desperate. He's destitute. He has nothing. He wasted all that he had. So verse 15 says, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, 
and no one gave him anything. So in this story, us, like the prodigal son, when we wander away from the Father, when we wander away from God, we go from our home to the pig pen. We go from being sons to being servants of those who are not our Father. And when we wander away from God, we find ourselves in places that we promised ourselves that we would never end up going. How many of you in arrogance or in pride have ever said to yourself, I would never do that. I would never do this thing. I could never be like this person who did this horrible thing. And then we find ourselves one day in the exact same scenario because in pride we never turned to the Father to humble ourselves to allow Him to keep us from doing the things we promised we would never do. And in this context, as Jesus is telling this story 2,000 years ago in Israel to these religious leaders and these Pharisees and to the sinners and tax collectors, to go and to work with pigs or to feed pigs would have been the lowest of the lowest, dirty, detestable jobs that someone could ever engage in. Because pigs were considered ceremonially unclean for the Israelites. And so this would have been detestable. How dare this man lower himself to such a level that he has to feed pigs? But likewise, we find ourselves doing things that we never thought we'd do. Also, sometimes we have to hit rock bottom before we ever knew that we fell to begin with. Sometimes people hit rock bottom and they didn't even know they were falling. Sometimes people know that they're falling for a long time, and sometimes I actually pray, God, let them hit rock bottom so that they can be rescued from their fall. Sometimes you have to end up in a pig pen to realize how good you had it back at home. Sometimes you have to realize, I had it so great in God's family. I had it so great when I was following Jesus faithfully. And now that I'm in this pig pen, I can see what I had and now what I've lost. So how many of you have ever hit rock bottom? I wrote this long list of like examples of hitting rock bottom. And as I was looking at my notes a couple of moments ago, I'm like, there's no point of reading this list. People know what it's like to hit rock bottom. Have you ever hit rock bottom? Or, or maybe are you at a rock bottom point right now? You see, when you hit rock bottom, if you're at rock bottom, oftentimes you think that you are too far to ever be accepted again. That you've fallen so far and you've hit rock bottom so hard that you could never be loved again. I've talked to many people who, who they, maybe they can accept that they're accepted or they can believe that they're loved, but sometimes you hit rock bottom so hard that you begin to believe that you don't deserve anything good. Nothing good will ever happen to me because of what I've done. I'm just stuck like this forever. And what that is is this cycle of shame that we enter into to think that we can't deserve the very thing we claim to have. Sometimes when we hit rock bottom, we falsely believe that we could never return. We could never go home. So in verse 17, it says, When the young man came to himself, he said, this is what he says to himself, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? 
But I perish here in a pig pen with hunger. He has this rock bottom realization. Basically that I had it good. The servants in my father's house have it good. This is, this is such a far place from where I used to be, and, and even the lowest people in my father's household have it better than I have it. Now, when it comes to rock bottom, again, I often pray for people, God, let the rock bottom be gentle. Let them hit rock bottom, but don't let it be so hard that it destroys them. And and this guy here, he's hit rock bottom, and he recognizes that he's at rock bottom. He recognizes what he's missing out on, but he's not too far gone. And so this is his plan in verse 18. He says, I will arise, and I will go to my father, and I will say to my father, and he rehearses this speech, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. There's something good that's happening here with this younger son. But there's also something that is not good. There's something that is lacking. What is good is that this man is convicted of his sin. Oftentimes, those who find themselves in the pig pen, oftentimes those who find themselves at rock bottom aren't convicted of sin at all. This young man is actually convicted of his sin, and even better, he's repentant of his sin. He's like, I'm going to turn away from my sin. I am going to vow to do better, to walk closer, to follow, and to go home. He's aware that his sin separated him from his father. So he's convicted, he's repentant, and he knows that there is a disconnect between him and the father like we recognize there is a disconnect between us as God. But here is his problem. His problem is he thinks he's done too much. His problem is he thinks he's gone too far. His problem is he thinks he could never be accepted as a son, only as a servant. And so he thinks he needs to work to be accepted by his father. I've done wrong. I've sinned. I'm separated from the father. I'm convicted of my sins. I'm repentant of my sins. In order to make this right, I need to clean myself up from the pig pen. In order to make this right, I need to go and work off my sins that I have committed against the Father. And maybe the Father will receive me back as a servant, but never a son. And see, this is what we all do. When we find ourselves convicted of sin, when we find ourselves even repentant of sin, oftentimes we will say to ourselves, I'll never be good enough, but if I could just work this off, maybe God will just kind of let me kind of just get into heaven, but that's all I want. I'm just going to be a servant. I'm going to work this off. I'm going to engage in religious behavior. I'm going to be as good and as obedient as I can, and maybe the Father will take me back. This is not what Ephesians 2 says. Ephesians 2.8 says, It is by grace you are saved. You're saved freely. It's a gift of grace. It is by grace you are saved. And then Paul says in verse 8, Not as a result of works so that none would boast. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. 
So this young man, just like me and like you, we can't earn back our salvation. We can't earn acceptance to the Father. It is simply a gift of grace that we receive through faith, not ever as a result of works. So verse 20 says that the young man arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and his father felt compassion. It's not the main point of this message, but as a side note, oftentimes we have pity on people. Oftentimes we feel sorry for people. That is not compassion. Compassion is a sorrow. Compassion is a pity. Compassion is feeling bad, which moves us to action. And so it says, while he was still far off as he was returning home, his father saw him and he had compassion on him. And in verse 20, it says, the father ran and embraced him and kissed him. But there's a part of this verse that is crucial. And did you catch the crucial part? It says, while his father was waiting at the house, the son was far off. It says the father saw him. You see, what the crucial part of this story is, is that the father was always there. The father was not just there, but he was actively outside waiting and watching for his son. The father wasn't going about his business. The father had not forgotten about his son. The father was on the front porch, if you will, watching over the horizon for when his son would actually return. He was waiting. He was wanting. He was watching. It was the son that left. The father was there all along. How many of you have ever left a relationship as a mistake? You've left a relationship and then you were upset that the person that you left wasn't close to you anymore, but you were the one who ran away. How many of you have had people leave relationship with you and they're upset that you're not engaging in the relationship anymore, but, but they were the one who actually ran away. You see, the father never left. He was always home. It was the son who walked away, and out of the father's love, he allowed the son to walk away. He allowed the son to experience life without him, but he was there waiting the entire time. The father never moved. There's this, I'll call it an old person story. There's this old person story I've heard old people tell um, about this, this couple. And there was this, this old man and an old woman in an old-fashioned truck. And the old-fashioned truck had a bench seat. And there used to be cars with bench seats. There was no center console to get in between you and making out with the person next to you. And so... The old man is driving and his wife is sitting on the opposite side of the truck in the bench seat and they pull up to a stop sign and there is another old truck in front of them with a young couple sitting on the bench seat right next to each other and being close to one another and kissing one another and gazing into each other's eyes. And the old woman in the truck behind the young couple in the truck looks to her husband and said, why don't we do that anymore? Why, why don't you sit close to me like that anymore? And the old man, while he's driving, he says, I've never left. You're the one who's actually pulled away. 
And you see, this is often what we do with God. We get upset that God is not intimate with us. We get upset that we're not feeling the love of God in our lives when in fact we were the ones who scooted away and kept space between us. But God has always been there. He's never left. He's always been. We need to return to him. See, all the son had to do was turn around. All he had to do was turn around to return home and be embraced by the father who was always there. And once the son made a choice to turn around, once the son made a choice to return, then the father ran to him. The son didn't need to work anything off to be accepted by the father. His father accepted him as he was. The father came to him. The father welcomed him home with open arms. And in great joy, And with unconditional love, the Father tackled him to the ground and embraced and kissed him. Because when it says that the Father ran and embraced and kissed him, in the Greek language that this this verse is written in, that word that he ran and embraced him, it literally means he fell on his neck. The Father fell on the neck of his son. He tackled him to the ground, not out of anger but out of love and embraces him and holds him no matter how bad he smells. No matter how soiled his clothes are, he doesn't care. He just loves his son. And so he falls to the ground and embraces his love, his son. Verse 21, the son said to the father, remember he's literally like being tackled on the ground. The son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Here's his repentance speech. I've sinned. Here is the son's request to work it off. He's about to say, just make me a servant. But before the son can even get the words out of his mouth, he has repeated this speech to himself all the way home. I'm not a son. Make me a servant. Before he can get those words out of his mouth, still not understanding this beautiful love and grace as they roll on the ground, the father interrupts him. Let me work it off. Let me be your servant. But no, the father interrupts and says this. Bring quickly the best robe, and put it on him. He's talking to his servants, by the way. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and put shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The they is the servants began to celebrate. You see, this son didn't need to work for acceptance. He didn't need to work for love. The father received him and the father welcomed him back as he was. Here's the deal. Remember I had said earlier, the father loves us so much 
that he lets us choose. The Father loves us so much that he lets us experience life away from him. But likewise, the Father loves us so much that when we do return home, that you can't stay the way that you were when you strayed. His Father loved him enough to not stay the way that he was. Because when the Father welcomes you home from the pig pen, you can't bring the pig pen home. You have to leave it at the door. This is why so many of us don't ever go through the door. We like the idea of the love and the acceptance and the grace of the Father, but we don't like the idea of letting go of the pig pen. The pig pen doesn't fit through the door. And so the Father says, you're welcomed home. You're a son. Put a robe on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put shoes on him. Throw a party for him. But you've got to leave the pig pen outside. It can't come in because that's not what's best for you. And so the father loves him enough to change him. And so the robe that he puts on his son, that robe represents being clothed in righteousness. The Bible says this about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It says, for our sake, God the father made Jesus Christ the son. For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to become sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, when we put our trust in Jesus, he dies for our sins, all of our unrighteousness. He takes on the righteous wrath of God for, and he gives to us his righteousness so that when God sees us in Christ, we are righteous. And so this robe represents righteousness. His past, his sins, his shame were absolutely covered. And when we come home to the Father, our sins are covered in the righteousness of Christ. You can't stay in the clothes that you were in the pig pen with. Instead, when you follow Jesus, you put on the clothes of righteousness. The ring that the Father puts on the hand of His Son, that ring represents a sign of being a son. A ring was a seal that one would press into wax to seal something like a document. A ring was a seal that proved that this young man belonged to his father. And when we come home to the father, he puts within us his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a seal. It is proof of ownership that we belong authentically to him. The shoes that the father puts on the son's feet, the shoes represent not just being covered, but actually being cleaned. Because feet were the dirtiest part of the body in this particular era and place in history because everyone wore sandals and they walked around in the dirt all day. And so when you entered into someone's house, they actually cleaned your feet as a great sign of honor and service and love and respect. And the father doesn't only cover his sins, the father washes away his sins, cleans his feet and puts on new shoes. I believe these shoes represent being made whole. He likely was barefoot, but the father makes him whole by putting these shoes on his feet. And when we return back home to the father, God makes us whole. I believe these shoes represent being given purpose again. 
As shoes make you ready for the good work the Father has in store for you. You're not just going to be barefoot anymore, son, wandering aimlessly through the dust and the dirt, but you're going to have shoes on your feet that will make you ready. That's what Paul says about the armor of God, that we put on shoes for our feet, readiness to go and to spread the gospel. So he's given purpose. So when you and I come home to the Father... We aren't just covered. We're not just seen as righteous, but we're actually forgiven. We're made clean. We're made whole. We're given purpose. And finally, that that fattened calf. The fattened calf represents the Father's blessing and provision. Offering to His children the best that He has to offer. What, What would your father cook for you? If he's like, my son's home, let's, let's give him the best that we have to give. Last night I was hanging out with my, my son and his girlfriend, and I'd gone from a long walk where my feet were dirty, and I came home, and I feasted on um, Chef Boyardee ravioli. <laughs> and I hadn't had it in like 10 years, and I was like, oh, I forgot how good this was. And I had it with sourdough English muffin. Mmm, bellissima, it was good. <laughs> it was like, so imagine like coming home. Stop what you're doing. Let's throw a party. Kill the fattened calf. See, God wants to give to his children the best he has to offer. When we come home to the Father, he blesses us with his best. And he throws a celebration. The Bible actually says that when one sinner repents, that the angels in heaven rejoice. This is the picture we have here in the story of the prodigal son. The servants of the father, I believe, symbolically are God's servants, his heavenly host, the angels in the spiritual realm, throwing a celebration because the son had returned. And this rejoicing, it shows how full of joy the father is to have his son. And it shows to us the fullness of joy that exists in the presence of God. So here's where we, where we end this today. And if you could do what you can to eliminate distraction, we just have just a few more minutes. And put your phones away and listen carefully. The Father is waiting for you. The Father never went anywhere. You did. I did. He's waiting. He's watching. The Father is ready to receive you home. We talked last week about how it's difficult for many people to place a foot inside of a church, to, to step into or through church doors. Because people say things like, God is waiting to curse me. God is waiting to punish me. God is waiting to throw lightning at me. But that's not the story of the God of Scripture. Because He's waiting, watching, and not ready to throw lightning. He's ready to receive you home with open arms. God is ready to lavish you with love. And He's ready to interrupt your religious speech. Because that's the speech of the Son. I'm no longer worthy to be called a son. Let me work it off as a servant. But God loves you enough to cut you off in that speech. He loves you enough to take you out of the pig pen. 
to declare you as righteous, to receive you as his daughter or as his son. God loves you enough to fill you with his spirit and declare you to be his own. God loves you so much that he doesn't want to just take you out of your mess. He wants to wash you and clean you from it. He doesn't just want to cover your sins. He wants to forgive them. He doesn't want to leave you where you're at. He wants to make you whole. He doesn't just want to placate you or just get by. He actually wants to give you purpose in your life again. And he wants to do this so that you can live a life of faithful, fruitful obedience to him. God wants you not to be serving strangers in a foreign land in a pig pen, but instead he wants you to be serving him as a son and as a daughter in his house, experiencing the celebration of his blessings. He wants you to experience the fullness of joy in the presence of his house. So come home. You're never too far. Come home. The Father's waiting. He's watching. His arms are open. He can forgive you and make you new. And He can change you, remove the pig pen, change you from the inside out. As I was preparing for this message, I was grasping for stories. I was like, God, help me remember a time when I ran away from my parents. And I'm like trying to like make up a story about when I ran away because I, I never actually did. And I was like, I don't, I don't have that story. And I was like, help me remember a time where I lost something and I found it. And as I was trying to think of that, I lost my wallet for the fifth time last week. But I did think of times where I thought my kids were missing. Where they had like went around the corner of an aisle at a store. Or when they were in the backyard and I looked out and I didn't see them. And that horrible gut-wrenching feeling you have, even if it lasts for a second until you see them again. And the complete relief you feel in your gut when they're found. And if I am relieved when I find my own children when they've been missing for 10 seconds, imagine the joy the father feels when for a lifetime we were lost. And he rescued us and loved us enough to call us home and receive us. And we came. The story is about the father. The story is about the son. But in this story, you and I are not the father. In this story, we are the son who is lost. And the story is all about him, all about his acceptance and love, his ability to change and clean and make whole and make new. But just like the paralyzed man who was dropped into the house of Jesus, he had to choose to stand up when Jesus told him he was healed. 
when we see the Father waiting for us on the porch with his arms open, we have to choose to return. We have to choose to make our way toward him. And the moment you take that one step, he'll he'll run to you because he's the one that does all the rescuing. He's the one that does all the saving. But he loves you enough to choose whether or not you'll receive it. So come home. You're never too far. You've never strayed too much. You aren't beyond good things again. You can experience the blessings of God again. And once you receive that, the Bible says, it gives these analogies of what happens to our sins. It says that they're buried in a sea of forgetfulness. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far God removes our sins from us. So leave them there. And walk in the righteousness of Christ. Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, so there's no distraction, if you'd say, Pastor, I I have never come home to God. My entire life I've strayed from him. I've never allowed him to embrace me. I've never accepted his love. I've never received his forgiveness. I've never allowed him to change me, cleanse me, clean me. I've never chose to have relationship with God. I've never chose to follow Jesus Christ. The message for you today is come home. Come home. Home is where God is. Come home. Wherever Jesus is, that's where home will be found. Come home. So the book of Romans says, if you'd confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Jesus says, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So Jesus loves you. He died for your sins. He rose again so that you could be forgiven, your relationship with him restored and given everlasting life. And he gives it freely as a gift of grace that you must receive in faith. And if you would say, with no one looking around, Pastor, that's me. I want to choose Jesus today, and I never have. Would you just raise your hand as high as you can, put it right back down, just so I can rejoice with you, pray with you, say, yeah, today I choose Jesus. I want him. I need him. I want to return For those who'd say, hey, I, I've come home. Home is where God is for me. I've been a part of the house of God before. But I did walk away. I've walked away from close relationship with God. And I want to go back. I want to go back. Maybe you haven't walked away from close relationship personally and intimately with God, but you've walked away from God's family. You've walked away from the church. Not this church, but the church as a whole. You say, I need to get back in community again. I need to return home to church. I I need to be a part once again. If that's you, as we stand here in just a second and sing, um, I'll be up front with a few of 
our team, and we just would love to pray with you. If you'd say specifically today, I, I, I know Jesus, I love him, he saved me, but I've, I've wandered away and I want to come back to close fellowship, or I want to return to the family of God, we just would love to pray for you, with you, over you. Maybe you have prayer for other things today and you just want to come up and receive prayer. That, that's awesome too. So come home. You're never too far. Would you stand? God, I thank you for this story that, that you told Jesus um, how how relevant it is for us today. Jesus, for those who are the lost son, who've never encountered your embrace before, I ask that they would have faith to come home. For those who know you, who felt your embrace, who've been comforted by your spirit, who have been a part of the body of Christ and who have actively walked away, May they know that your grace is big enough for that as well. Jesus, we surrender to you. We love you. We trust you. We ask that you'd meet us the moment we take a step in your direction because we know you will. In Jesus' name, amen.